She said, if you really want to get in the boardroom, you have to talk sports and wear pearls. And I just thought, like, no, no, like, no. That's Neha Shah, an incredibly talented business executive born in Kenya, based in New York. And I'm Joel Eman. Welcome to Connection Request, a show profiling people and their career journeys. Thanks for being here. I'll share more about why I started Connection Request in the Coda, so stick with me until the end of the interview. But right now, I want to get to our guest. Sneha is one of the most inspiring global business leaders and innovators I know. She has an exhaustively impressive resume, but the through line in her career is grounded in her purpose, which is to unleash the potential in others to have a positive impact. That on its own is a great reason to have her as my first guest, but I especially wanted to talk to her about the moment she's in right now, a time of transition and designing her next chapter. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sneha. So I am genuinely excited to chat with you today. You're not only one of the smartest people I know, but you have this undeniable energy and kindness and wisdom about you, which at least in my experience in the business world can be quite rare. So today I just want to do what I can to bottle that up for our listeners. And full disclosure, you and I have worked together before, so I have the distinct pleasure of knowing you a little bit. I know some about your background, but just for our listeners, can you give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. And thank you. And likewise, I feel the same about you. So I grew up in Kenya, third generation Indian immigrant into Kenya. Growing up, I already felt very as, as much as my Indian identity. I think the African identity was just as strong, if not stronger. And then went to university in the UK, came back to Kenya to work, started working banking, drifted from banking into foreign exchange trading at the bank, and then got recruited to be a commodities trader in the early days of commodities trading in South Africa with Cargill. And then took a leap from South Africa to the US with my husband's job moving to the US, lived in the US from 2001 until 20. 13. And most of that time I worked with Reuters. I was lucky enough to get a job with Reuters working on the trading platforms and then moving into various other businesses. And I've done everything from project management to product management to running operations and running businesses. And then in 2013, I had the opportunity to jump back to South Africa with Thomson Reuters to run the Africa business. And I did that for six years which was probably one of the highlights of my life. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more here. And then I came back here in 2019. We had a big sort of acquisition, came back in 2019, led a couple of other businesses through another acquisition by the London Stock Exchange Group and then left London Stock Exchange Group in June in 2022. And so I'm in this really interesting phase now after having done a corporate career for most of my life of being in this next chapter transition phase of designing what that looks like. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm learning that I'm not the only one and there's many of us on the journey. And so I'm just, yeah, I'm having fun and figuring out what's next. And I'm now living in Montclair, New Jersey. So much to dig into. So firstly, as you look back in your career thus far, how much of it has been planned versus unplanned? So it's funny because in my early part of my career, if you asked me, I would say it's all just unplanned and it was just I would be opportunistic 
and I would be going towards where my energy lies. And I think as I've gotten older in my career, I've realized that actually some of that is, it's not necessarily consciously planned, but it is at an unconscious level. There are certain people and things that I gravitate to, and that almost creates those opportunities in my career. So, you know, if I think about making a journey from university to banking, to trading, to project management, and all the way through, like what are those connective threads? For me, some of those connective threads are I really love working within global contexts that connect markets. And for me, I think markets are a fundamental way that you can get economies and societies moving. And I've always been attracted to the idea of if you can bring people together and get them to work on an equal playing field, whether it's commodities or foreign exchange or information or whatever it happens to be, and you can get them to work together, you can actually make the world a better place, more transparent, and you can give everyone what they need. And so I think markets are connective for me and they're quite a connected thread. The other piece for me is challenge. I love when something is new or emerging or transformative. I thrive in those spaces where nobody mm. really knows the answer. Everyone's trying to figure it out and there's potential. And so it's that sort of the edge of existing markets. And so I was early in the foreign exchange trading days in Kenya and helping to actually create a market there. The same thing in South Africa, helping to set up a wheat and soybean desk for Cargill in South Africa and for Reuters and then Thomson Reuters having, I think the projects that I was most excited about were around the launch of new products or transforming, for example, the Reuters media business from print to digital or completely transforming the African business from a sales operation to a truly localized business. Those are the types of things that I really gravitate towards. So like this idea of creating markets where that's, there's equal opportunity and you're able to make the market better for everyone. And also this idea of being at the near, at the edge of where markets are going. It's interesting to look back and find that through line in your career. That definitely feels the way for me to, albeit a somewhat shorter career so far, but oftentimes you jump from thing to thing and maybe in the moment you don't realize, but something is pulling you along. You and I, because we work together for a number of years, we know a number of people in common. So I asked a couple of different people what I should ask you about. So I'm going to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Nikki Catlin, for this one. Both earlier in your career, as well as throughout, especially when you were a trader back in the day, I imagine it was a fairly male-dominated world. And I imagine throughout your career, much of it was male-dominated as well. Um, how do you navigate that? And how do you think about gender dynamics? Yeah, it's interesting. I probably didn't think about it too much in my early career because it was just the way that things were. So I was one of the first female foreign exchange traders in Kenya. I was the only commodities trader on the desk in Cargill in South Africa that was female. And so in those environments, it just was the norm. And so I didn't think of myself as breaking new ground or just felt, hey, I'm lucky to be in these environments. And there, there, there are too few, many, too few women in these environments, but I didn't necessarily see it as like my job to fix it, or I didn't really see it as a major obstacle to me getting there. It just was what it was. I think when I really realized that this was a um, an issue was when I was commodity trader in South Africa, there was a point at which they were, some of the traders were taking their clients out for sort of entertainment. And some of the entertainment was really not stuff that, that I would have chosen as a woman. And when I complained about it and said, this isn't really suitable for me to come to, they said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll take you to, we'll take the client to a steak restaurant and I'm vegetarian. And so I called up a steak restaurant and they said, we don't have anything, not even a salad that you can eat. And I was like, I guess this is the better of the alternatives. And so I went with it. 
But it, it, that's what started me thinking of, are we creating these spaces that people can't thrive in? And not so much for me, because I think I've always felt like I'll find a way around and I'm hopefully quite accommodating as I, as I do these and I create my own spaces. But actually for the next person that comes after me, like how do you create those spaces? And so when I moved to the US and, and I was at Reuters, I was very deliberate about trying to create those spaces for other people because I realized that it's something that if we don't change it, it's always going to be that way. And you don't really want that for the next generation or for anyone else that you work with. And so I think I'm much more conscious about it now and sometimes maybe too conscious about it. I've had a few people push back and said, gender equality doesn't mean that women are the be all and end all of everything. And when I had my leadership team in South Africa, at one point we were 70% women on the leadership team and I hadn't designed it that way. I just made the environment more amenable to anyone mm. that was diverse to be able to come in. And so we ended up with the majority of women and the men started complaining that they were a minority. And, and actually, even though that can be something we find funny, there are real issues with gender dynamics changing and where mm. men don't understand their roles when, as the roles are shifting. And in South Africa, that was really something that we saw. We saw a lot of domestic violence and abuse. The apartheid situation was particularly one that hurt a lot of young men in South Africa and excluded them. And so as you're seeing more women graduate from the university systems and become successful and the men are being left behind, it's creating this really tough gender dynamic. And we now need to say it's not enough to just look at the women. We actually need to look at the young men and the boys and figure out how to help them see their mm. place in society. Because we're never going to achieve the balance or an equal society unless we look at all people who are part of that society. Jumping off of your experience in South Africa, something that's really interesting about you that not everyone has is you have lived and worked around the world. You mentioned your third generation Indian living in Kenya. So there's that immigrant experience as well. That sort of global experience, what do you think that's given you in your career? And then I guess for anybody else who's ever considered having or designing global experience as part of their career journey, what would you say about that? I think that travel is probably the best gift you can give yourself or anyone that you care about. And living and working abroad is included in that idea of travel. It makes us aware of the world. It makes us humble. It helps make us more empathetic. And if we want to be better leaders and we want to be more aware leaders and more relevant leaders for tomorrow's world, all of those things, right? Being humble, being empathetic, being curious are going to be really important skills to have for leadership. And so it'll help us be more aware. I just don't know anyone who's spent time overseas and not come back some way transformed. And so mm. if you want to seek that growth in yourself, then definitely go into those opportunities that allow you to be out of your comfort zone and learn about someone else's world. Speaking of figuring out what your world is about and finding ways, something that I've always taken inspiration from you on and something that I think about a lot in my own career is finding your purpose. And I've heard you talk about this. I've seen your writings on this. It seems like it's a really important area to you. A few years ago in a LinkedIn article, you wrote that your purpose is to unleash the potential in others to have a positive impact. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, yeah, how do you think about purpose as it relates to your career? And then more importantly, any advice for the rest of us on how to define and shape one's own purpose? Yeah. And it's funny, I have probably had this hankering around purpose for most of my life. And it's funny when I talk to my family, they're like, oh, you've always been like that. But I didn't recognize it in myself 
until maybe 2010 or 2011, when mm -hmm. I'd been living in the US, like you're always aspiring, always trying to get to where you need to go to in your life. And when I left Kenya and had worked for Cargill in South Africa and then moved to the US, you get on this ladder where you're like, okay, so I have to get to the next thing and the next thing. And so career-wise, it's, I want to get from project manager to program manager to head of operations. And in a personal life capacity, it's about getting married, at least for me, it was, and having kids. And then it's also about, can you buy a house and all the things that come with growing up in life. And when I got to a point sitting in New York, and I think it was 2011, and I thought to myself, I'm at this place where I feel incredibly privileged as a young girl from Kenya who never imagined herself in a corporate in New York in the middle of Times Square. And I feel so lucky to be here. But now what? Right? What's this for? What am I doing all this for? Am I doing it so I can get another title in another car and another? What is it that I'm doing? And I realized that I was really missing deeply this sense of what I thought was Africanness. And I, as I talked to more and more people, I realized it's not just African. It's this idea that the work you do has to have impact. And in Africa, it's really, it's part of most of the cultures in, in many of the countries that you go to. And so it's so deeply embedded in what you do that when you rise, you lift others and that your entire purpose in life is to try and lift others with you. And so somehow I was missing that sitting in New York. And so I started trying to look for people who were from Africa in New York. And that ended up in me spending more and more time with people who were going back to Africa to try and have that impact. And that's actually what led to me looking for that role, which then led me back to Africa oh, to try and have impact. And I think that's the real time that I realized how important impact was to my personal and professional life. And then just around that time, like maybe a year or two later, Simon Sinek wrote that sort of book and did a TED talk on the power of why. And it came together for me. I was like, oh, I totally get this. I get why. If you're very clear about your individual purpose and what drives you and you're aligned with it, it'll attract people who also do that. And then it'll allow you to be in a space where you can have significantly more impact um, than if you're just in the corner by yourself saying, I have this idea of purpose, but I don't know what to do with it. So the reason why purpose matters so much to me is because it's actually the key to unlock your impact on the world. It's the, if you understand your purpose and you can draw other people into it, you will then attract everything you need and all the resources and all the partnerships and everything else that you need to actually go further to actually delivering your purpose. Wow. And what would you say to someone who maybe at this particular moment in time, like they're struggling to figure out what that is for themselves, especially I think I'll speak for myself when you're maybe a little bit earlier in your career, you're in a job that who knows how you got there. Maybe it was super intentional. Maybe it wasn't. If you don't feel like you're a person who can just flip that switch and like, oh, all of a sudden, like I know what it is. How do you kind of go about figuring out what it is? Yeah. And for me, I think it was a multi-year journey. So I'm not underestimating actually how long this takes to figure out. But something that I found really helpful as a tool is this Japanese tool called Ikigai. And it's basically, it's the intersection of what you're good at, what you can get paid for, what the world needs and what you love. And the way I looked at it, and this wasn't in a book, but I just because like, okay, how can I make this relevant for myself? I just wrote a piece of paper and I made four column headings and those were column headings. And then I just left the piece of paper next to my table. And every day, whenever something would strike me that, hey, you know, I'm actually good at this or I can get paid for this, I would write it down, you know, or I think the world needs more of, for example, really good pathways for education that are alternative and not your standard sort of job seeking education. And so I would write those things down and then 
after about three weeks of writing those things down, I took a look at the paper and I could start seeing some things that were common across. So for example, for me, it was entrepreneurship and education are very tightly aligned for me, where if I think about, we have to create more entrepreneurs in the world. You can't just create people who can take jobs. You need to create people who can create jobs because that's really what's going to solve this massive unemployment problem that we're going to have in emerging markets with all these young people coming into the market in the next 50 years with nowhere to go. And so for me, that was something that really hit home. And I was like, okay, entrepreneurship and education are good. Then I started looking, okay, where have I done that in my career? Where can I get paid for that? And you realize that even in a corporate career, you work on some very entrepreneurial things. And that gives mm -hmm. you credibility as you're talking to other entrepreneurs. And so you can start finding those connective threads. And then what I did very deliberately was I said, okay, if I'm passionate about these spaces, who else do I know that's passionate about these spaces? And one of my biggest problems in life has always been, I've got this incredible network and I never know what to do with it. Mm. And so I was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to call people who are in these spaces that I really love. And I'm going to say, hey, I'm trying to figure out what it is that my purpose is. And how did you find your purpose in this space? Mm. And what is going on in the industry that is interesting? And if I was trying to find out more, who else should I speak to? And those three questions I did time and time again with people in the education space, in the entrepreneurship space, in the emerging market space. That was the other thing I really discovered that I loved in the gender space and in youth empowerment space. Like those things were all very interesting to me. And as I started speaking to people, people would be like, hey, you should speak to so-and-so. And then somebody else would like then refer me to either work on a project with somebody um, potentially a board role, advisory roles. And I started taking these little things. And the more I experimented, the more I started honing that in to say, actually, this is it. This is my sweet spot. And so I think it's a journey. And if you're at the beginning of the journey, don't be stressed about it. It's okay. But just start with the small step of saying, can I write down those four categories of things? And then can I start finding people who are in those spaces and start connecting with them? And eventually you'll get down the right path. Such practical advice. I really appreciate you going into depth on that one. So next thing you've alluded to the, this at the top, but a big part of why I wanted you on is because you are in this really interesting space and moment right now in your career. We might call it a career transition. So you left, as you mentioned, your corporate job last year, and you had been there a really long time, right? In many different roles across multiple different companies in some ways, but in some way, shape, or form connected to businesses, including Thomson Reuters, Refinitiv, as you mentioned, and Nelsag. So since you left, what have you been up to? And how are you thinking about your next chapter? So I'll talk about what led up to me leaving. I've been, I really have enjoyed and I've been very lucky to work in environments where I've worked with just incredible people and had a lot of opportunity. But one of the things I've learned during that time, at least from business context, is you can't ignore the trend. And when you see the dots connecting in a certain way, fighting it just actually makes you miserable. At a certain point, you just need to accept that the dots are moving in a way that that maybe you don't you haven't thought of or you didn't want it to go in and you realize that it's going there anyway. And so either you leap in and you create your path in that journey or it'll carry you away and you'll be left with very little agency. And so I was sitting during the whole pandemic, I was sitting here and seeing these dots connecting, not just for me personally, but for the world, right? Like the world is now more interconnected than ever. It's more volatile than ever. We need better leadership than ever. People are unhappier than ever, right? And people are struggling with mental health more than ever. And companies which should be part of the solution are actually um, 
perpetuating problems. And governments, which should be part of the solution, are perpetuating problems. And so I've been sitting with this idea that, that I'm waiting for someone to fix this for me. And it's not going to get fixed by somebody else. It's going to be me that has to fix this. But actually, it's such a big problem that you can get overwhelmed with thinking about, how do I go fix that? And then I started to look around and I started seeing a couple of trends that really made me excited. So one was this idea of entrepreneurship. During the pandemic, entrepreneurship scaled in a way that I think we hadn't seen in the previous 10 years. Just everywhere in the world, you just started seeing people going, hey, you know what? My job is not great and I'm going to start a business. And so suddenly there was this opportunity to help entrepreneurs kick off their businesses in a way that wasn't before. And so I was doing incredible amount of mentoring in my spare time for entrepreneurs. And I was like, oh, that's actually something I know how to do and the world needs it. Secondly, I listened to Alan Patrickoff, who's like the godfather of VC. There was an event that was had and I went and sat there and listened to him. And he's in his 90s and he was talking about how he's on his third or fourth chapter in his life. And he said, we often tell ourselves there's two chapters, right? There's the working chapter and the retired chapter. Hmm. And he said, the reality is people are not they're not getting old and retiring in their 50s and 60s. They're starting new businesses and they're active. And nobody's really understanding the value of this group of people that are now in their second, third, fourth, fifth chapters. And he was starting a new VC focused on the sort of founders in, his, in their 50s and 60s. And I was like, gosh, you never are too old, right? You have to. Hmm. And I thought, well, if I don't start designing my second chapter now, what am I going to get to my fourth? And so I started thinking about that. And then there was this idea that if there was going to be a time to really start taking some time off and discovering what the world needed, there probably wasn't going to be a better time than now because you saw that there were several people across the world doing it. And there were many ways in which to think about how you can add value to the world from gig economy, portfolio careers, board advisory roles. And I thought, if I don't take this time out and do it now, then I'm going to be caught into something that I'm not happy with and I won't be able to shake the next future. So sorry for that, but I actually think it's important to go into the why because it'll yeah. shape then what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, what I started doing was I said to myself, I'm really going to take time out to do nothing because everyone I spoke to, I'm very conscious whenever I try something new, I go talk to people who've done it before because mm. I think that it's a really good way to learn about a good way to approach it that might be less risky. Yeah. And so I spoke to several people who'd done these transitions and two things came up. One was they said, you need to take time off and genuinely take time off and unplug because there's so much that you need to detox from. Like you may not even realize you need to detox from it. The second thing is don't rush too quickly into the next thing because that's just pattern recognition. And hmm. so I was like, okay, this is good advice. So I stepped back and I really did take, I took three months off and I traveled with my family and we went around the world and we just had an incredible time. And I didn't think about work once during that time. That's amazing. hard for me because I don't yeah. be that person. Yeah, and wow. I back <laughs> and I said, I'm going to challenge myself to start new patterns. I don't want to go back into old patterns. And so I started doing art class. And I'm really terrible at art, but I started going to art class once a week just for the sake of being a newbie at something and really throwing myself into the deep end of learning. And I really have enjoyed that. It's a good creative outlet, but it's been something that I've started doing. And then I started saying, I'm going to go where my energy takes me. So talking to people that I find really energetic, talking to people who are doing new things, interesting things. So getting into some of the emerging world and learning a little bit more about generative AI has been something mm -hmm. that I'm really enjoying. Doing this course around what the leadership is that the world needs at HBS, working with African entrepreneurs, 
and just helping them figure out how they're going to manage in this next volatile period that we're going into and how African entrepreneurs can scale in when they've received record funding for the last few years, but now they're going into a world that's much more uncertain. And so I've been doing that. And then I've been also approached by a couple of nonprofits to be on the board of the nonprofits around education and entrepreneurship, which mm. were right in that sweet spot. And I yeah. was like, oh, this is like, you know, because now I had my filter. Now when things were coming at me, I was like, oh, this hits my filter. This hits my filter. And so yeah. I'm just really indulging myself with the people, the things, the project and the organizations that speak to me. And it's been amazing. And from that, it's starting to emerge. It's still early, but it's starting to emerge the sense that I think my next chapter, I want to be an operator. I want to get back and lead something. I think the world needs leaders that are compassionate and that see people. And I read this article I was mentioning to you previously that linked social unrest around the world and populism around the world with the great resignation and said that they all come from the same thing which is that people don't feel seen or heard. Mm. And I really believe as a leader that we have to see and hear people. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so I think I want to be a leader that is part of the solution to what yeah. the world needs right now. I think the best way to do that is to actually be hands-on and to lead something. What is the question now? And so now it's now I have to refine, is it a large organization? Is it a small organization? Is it emerging markets? Is it developed markets? I don't know yet, but I'm allowing my instinct to lead me and hopefully I'll have a better answer for you in a month. I really appreciate you being so open and honest and just going into detail about what it's like right now. I think it's just, at least to me, inspirational in terms of how intentional you're being in every step of the journey and figuring out what is next. And I'll just say for one, I can't wait to see as you continue to put that together, what is the next chapter? Because your impact and your reputation, at least in the companies that I've had the pleasure of working with you at is is enormous and without revealing any names multiple executives that i've talked with and multiple friends and colleagues were always like ah sneha's the next ceo of whatever company she wants to be so um can't wait to see where that goes well, thank you of course no and it's funny because i think we naturally have these fears right which is as we leave these platforms that we've been part of for a long time i think one fear that came up for me and it comes up for a lot of people is how much was me and how much was the company brand, right? Mm, absolutely. And, so, and I think giving yourself the space allows you to really clear your head around that. And it has for me, I think there's a lot that the company has given me, but I, I'm very clear now on what value I add. And I think if you're in that, if anyone's in that space, this is something to remember is just take some time out because there's equal value in you and the company. The other fear mm. is, what if I aim too small, right? Like mm. what if I settle and then everyone's like, I had such high hopes for you. And you don't achieve the impact. And to that, I've learned there are multiple chapters. So if you get it wrong the first time, it's okay. There's 46 yeah. or seven other chapters in your life and it's fine. And then the other fear is what if I aim too big? And I think that the answer to that is you really can never aim big enough. And the bigger you aim, just the more you'll find out about yourself one way or the other. And, so, you know, all of these things are lessons that are coming to me. And I hope that other people who are on their journey will take comfort if they're feeling those things. I'm glad that was your answer, that you can't aim too big. That was what I was going to say back to you. So I'm glad you've already gotten Thank to you. that yourself. Speaking of giving of yourself, okay, this is going to be an awkward transition, but I need to start out by apologizing to you. And that is because... One role I found myself playing over the past few years that I've really enjoyed is connecting people to mentors. And I think the only reason I've ever been successful at that is like most of the time when someone says, who should I reach out to be a mentor to me? I just say, oh, you've got to go talk to Sneha. Like 
And so I know for a fact, multiple people have reached out to you and had conversations with you just about mentorship. And so I just apologize for your inbox. For I know, all but I love it. I sent you before. I okay, love it. Good. It makes, it makes um, me very happy. You, you know my why now, that actually that really makes me happy. So it's awesome. Okay, well, apology rescinded. That sort of leads me to ask the question is, one thing that I've benefited from and so many others have is just so much of your time, your energy, your resources, you devote to, to others, right? You give of so many of those things. You're an incredible mentor. You advise all sorts of companies and people. You start groups and coalitions for many years. Maybe still today, you were involved with One Young World, which is where we originally met. Such an incredible organization and something that you gave your time to. I guess you've answered a little bit about this, but like, why do you freely give up so much of your time and your expertise for free? It's interesting. I don't actually think of it as giving up anything. I actually, it fills me, it fills my cup. I do it because I learn an incredible amount from everyone that I've ever worked with mm. around where the world's going, what they're facing, how they're being challenged, how people are thinking, how to stay relevant. And if the trade-off for me is if I'm able to share my experiences, that's a great trade-off like that. And I have been very lucky in my life. I had lots of people who've given very willingly of their time to coach me, to challenge me, to mentor me. And I think that's just a natural thing that you have to pass on. If you've been a beneficiary of it, you should pass it on because it's really, none of us are here just on the strength of our own achievements or our own abilities. And I really do get a lot out of it. Like One Young World helped to open my eyes to what's actually happening around some of the world's biggest challenges and innovative approaches that are happening that are being led at a grassroots level by young people who we traditionally used to think of as not having any power and actually showing the leadership that they've been able to show and seeing that has been inspirational for me. And so it mm. just flips the traditional model of who's leading and who's following for me. And that's why I get involved with organizations like One Young World. And that's probably why I cared so deeply about education and entrepreneurship too, because I look at young people today and I think they're connecting the dots much faster than I did when I was their age. Mm. They're living in a much more deeply complex world that is not in as great shape as when I was growing up and yet they're like even more optimistic about their future than I was. And they're actually, they believe that they're agents of change and they're using their voice to achieve change. And so that's just, it's incredible as a leader to look at those people and think my barriers actually are nothing if I listen to some of these people. And so if you can remove a few barriers for those people and get inspired at the same time, why wouldn't you? Like I, I really get so much joy out of working with people around the world in all different contexts. I don't think I'll ever stop. I hope I never stop. Something tells me you probably won't. Okay. Now, you've had this incredible career so far across multiple things. You've talked about entrepreneurship and education, but a lot of it has been focused in business. As you think about alternative paths, right? If you were to just have taken a different turn somewhere else, I'm curious what that might look like. And then also, just because you'd be incredible wherever you served. I was listening to some interviews with you earlier to prepare for this, and I noted you studied politics, and at one point you wanted to work for the UN. Just saying Sneha for some kind of public office or public sector would be incredible. I'm just curious, what are sort of alternate paths maybe that you thought about in the past and or perhaps even could be in the future someday? It's funny. I think everything in your life leads you to the moment that you're at. So I tried to spend very little time going back and thinking, what mm. if? When I was younger, I 
this is pretty, now you're, you're way too young for this, but when I was younger, there was a program on TV called Murphy Brown with mm. Candice Bergen. And she was this intrepid journalist that went around the world reporting. And she was literally one of the strongest women that I saw on TV when I was younger. And I kept thinking to myself, like, I could be that person. And when I joined Reuters, like part of me was fulfilling that, mm. even though I never worked in the side as a journalist. But it was really this idea that somehow fighting for access to information or fighting for transparency and letting people know what's happening in the world will make the world a better place. And I think that little seed was probably why I thought the UN would have been a good career for me as well, because I do think that bringing information together across countries, allowing people to have dialogue, allowing people to see each other and understand each other will allow us to achieve each of our individual goals. And ultimately, most humans want similar things, right? Like you want safety and security, like you want to be able to feed yourself, feed your families, send your kids to, to a decent education where they will then be able to make a successful life for themselves. We want happiness. We want good health. Like those things are pretty universal, but we get caught up in so much drama and blocker. Like, like we create blockers for ourselves and being able to see each other for who we really are. And so I think that career, that alternative career path in, in more of a diplomatic career was probably speaking to that side of me. Mm. But I think where I've evolved to is I think business is really the answer. I think governments play a really important role. I think multinationals play a really important role. But if I think about what is the thing that is going to unlock for the next generation real societal change, it's going to be business working with governments and multinationals. Business mm. has a real tool because it's a profit-making machine. And so it can sustain itself. It can bring in the right stakeholders to the table. It always does things in a way that thinks about the long term, because not the long term, but I think in terms of if you think about a business sustainability, they're not just trying to achieve this quarter's profit. They're actually trying to make sure their business is around in 10 to 15 years. And so, you know, at least good business is thinking sustainably. And if you want to be around in 10 to 15 years, you have to think about what your market and your community is. And so I think that's the answer for me is if it's an alternative career, it'll probably be something that bridges, um, yeah. you know, public sector and private sector. But I think the private sector piece will always be part of it. Interesting. So I want to wrap up in a minute with a little rapid fire section, if you're down for that. But before we get to that, what did I forget to ask you about? Ooh, that's a really good question. Maybe something around where... Do I think the world is going and what might people do to try and prepare for the next few years? Because mm. I think that's something I've been thinking about a little bit. I'd love to get people's reactions to this, but I've been thinking about this a little bit. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. That sounds interesting. Yeah. I think we've been in this really interesting space for the last 20, 30 years where we've had global economic growth for the most part. It's uneven, but it's been mostly growth followed by sort of some blips. So you have economic crisis and then you go back to global growth. And so that's allowed people to create a lot more middle classes around the world, a lot more prosperity around the world, has allowed for more access to goods and services, um, created a new consumer class around the world. And we're now heading into a, a period, and everyone's starting to see this, of increased volatility socially, economically, and politically. And that's going to be quite rough, I think, for the next five to 10 years, at least in my perspective, from what I can see and from what I've heard. And mm. it's going to be much more like a roller coaster and not just a, hey, we're going to head towards a crash, but actually there's going to be a high in a crash and high in a crash. There's going to be something that requires a lot of resiliency. And so what do I think people need? I think people need to learn from emerging markets or more volatile markets where 
that's been the norm for many people for many years of how do you actually cope? You ride the wave, you learn to ride the waves. And so learning to spot the trends and go with them and not fight is a really good piece of advice, I think, in volatile times. Going together with others, partnering with people helps mitigate risks in volatile times. So mm. really seeking out partnerships, seeking out people who are going in the same direction roughly as you and figuring out ways to work together that kind of cushions any downs. And then figuring out what value you can add both in the up and in the down. And I think on the down is really important right now for people. We have on the heels of a global pandemic, we have a lot of people going through some really tough mental health and physical crises. And so all of us, I think, need to make sure that we're there for people on the down and then people will be with us on the up. And for me, it's really about get ready for this crazy ride. There's going to be a lot of opportunity, a lot of risk, but a lot of resilience needed. And resilience isn't uh, brittleness. Resilience is flexibility. And just remembering mm. that vulnerability and flexibility and being open is probably more important now than ever. Hmm. Well said. You down for a couple rapid fire questions? To sure, things let's do off? it. Okay. So first one is, what's the worst piece of career advice you ever received? <laughs> it's, I can vividly see this. I was in a women's network event where this a senior woman was talking about how to get ahead in corporate life. And she was sitting on this podium and she said, if you really want to get in the boardroom, you have to talk sports and wear pearls. And I just thought like, no, no, like, no. <laughs> so, and for some people, I like pearls, by the way, but like sure. for some people, that's great advice. And for some people, that's terrible advice. But to give advice to a group of people to say, this is the only way you're going to get in the boardroom was horrible. And I think my, my counter to that would be, be yourself even harder when times are tough, because your standing out will make you stronger and will make you stand out as a leader as well. That's really funny. For someone maybe earlier in their career currently, or thinking about switching careers, startup or corporate? I would. It's a tough one because I love both. I would say, and there's no right answer for anyone. I would say the best piece of advice I've actually gotten about this is wherever you're going, make sure you're asking people to just take one risk on you, not two. And so what I mean is, if you've been in a startup and you've worked in a certain market sector, if you now want to move to a corporate and work in that market sector, that's one risk. But if you've been in a startup and you're wanting to move to a corporate in a completely different market sector, that's two risks. And so where you can, whatever jump you want to make, try and make it one risk, not two. You'll end up in a much better position and, and you'll be much more successful, I think. Really good advice. Um, who's a career hero or heroes of yours? I have so many. I have, have had the most incredible bosses. So I have to say, Susan Taylor Martin was one of my favorite bosses. She's just incredible. I worked for her when she was running the media business and we completely transitioned the business mm. from print to digital during the time that we worked together. Ben Shepard, who's my most recent boss, who's the head of strategy for Elsa, just an incredible human, um, but also an incredibly strategic mind. And then Gonzalo Lissaragüe, he's the, he was the head of emerging markets for Thomson Reuters. And I've never seen anyone who just exemplified why not. Like he literally, anything that would happen, he'd just be like, why not? Why don't we just try it? Why not? And just that boldness and courage and humanity, I absolutely love. I think definitely from within the company, those three. And then one of my best business coaches who I love to death is India Gary Martin. She's just an incredible person who's done so much work on leadership and DNI and has helped more uh, senior executives and 
junior people in companies than anyone else I know. So I think she's an incredible human. Hmm, some nice shout outs. Okay, one podcast or book recommendation, your choice. Ooh, actually, the one I'm reading right now is Thich Nhat Hanh. And it's called You Are Here, and it's about the importance of presence and mindfulness. And one of the things I've been training my brain on, because I'm not very good at it, is to stay in the present moment. And mm. I think that's brought me a lot of perspective and peace during this journey. Yeah, it's definitely one I would recommend. I think I need to check that out. Lastly, how about a piece of career advice to leave us with? Um, I think just follow your heart. Your heart is more important than your head when you think about your career because your heart is really what's going to drive your happiness. And ultimately, it doesn't matter like after you get the house, after you get the car, after you get the promotion, after you get everything, you still want to be happy. And so if you can start with the happiness and pursue the happiness piece, the head will follow. So follow your heart. Sneha, I just thank you so much for being so generous with your time as always, but especially today and sitting down to talk with me. Really appreciate the time. So thank you. Anna, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I love the fact that you're giving a platform to so many people to both learn and to share. So thank you for that. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I'm going to be thinking about purpose and ikigai for the next few weeks, thanks to her. If you've made it this far, thanks so much. I genuinely appreciate it. We're now here in the coda, the final section of the show. Anyone who knows me knows I usually have a lot to say, so this is where I'll share a little bit more about what's on my mind. This week, I wanted to talk about why I'm starting the show in the first place. And if I'm honest, I've wanted to start a podcast for a really long time. Who hasn't these days, right? I've been obsessed with podcasts for a solid decade. And I've done the bare minimum to start many times, buying a microphone, registering domain names and handles, even building a website for one. But for whatever reason, they never really took off. I've even been producing them for a few years at my day job, but always partnering with really talented teams to make them happen. This one is different, and we'll see where it goes from here. I chose to focus on people and their career journeys because it's an area I'm really fascinated in. I love finding out about how people got to where they are, why they made the choices they did, what they've learned along the way, and how all of that informs where they go from here. To me, everyone has interesting stories and journeys to share, no matter who they are, where they come from, and what they do. Plus, it's a great excuse for me to spend time with really interesting and talented people and to learn about myself as I go. So I hope you'll join me on this journey. And more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, I want to hear from you. I'm not doing this just for myself. I hope this reaches a few people out there who might be able to learn from others as I am. So please, send me your feedback, send me your ideas for who to interview and what topics to focus on, send me your genuine, honest thoughts about the episode. I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you as we go. That's it for today's episode of Connection Request. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss our next episode. Send me feedback, ideas, and questions at connect at shrugcontent.com. That's connect at shrugcontent.com. You can find that in the show notes as well. 
You can follow the show on Twitter and YouTube at Connect Request. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm at Joel Lehman. See you next time, and thanks for listening. Shrug content.